If you have your Bibles, I invite you to open them to where really our text for today is the entire Bible. And uh, well, I just just it's the entire Bible. But if if I had to pick one, what's going to go to first Corinthians chapter 10. So we are concluding today. Our series, Simple Reformanda, Always Reforming. We have been looking at the key doctrines of the Protestant Reformation, the five solas of the Reformation, and we looked at them in a particular order because we want you to really get this, this, uh, this sentence in mind that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to Scripture alone, for the glory of God alone. These are the doctrines that the reformers needed to pry back from the Catholic Church because we, uh, the Catholic Church had strayed so far from these biblical doctrines. Pastor Billy said um, in the Faith Alone message, he said that if you stray from orthodoxy, and orthodoxy is a big word that just means right belief. If you, if you stray from orthodoxy in any one of these solas, you eventually will deny every single one of these solas. And if you deny these solas, then you are lost. You are not a Christian. And so... We come to the end that if you look at our sentence here, we are saved. So we're talking about our salvation. It happens by grace through faith in Christ. I think we're all fine with that. All of this is found where? According to Scripture, which is where we looked last week, and for the purpose of God's glory. And so when we were divvying these things up, Billy, I didn't know that I was going to get the one I didn't know that I was going to have to try to put words to something that you can't put words to. So I appreciate that. That was a, that was a thing that happened this week. Is I was, how do you put words to something that you can't put words to? Well, here you go. This is going to be the best attempt at that happening. But the last sola that we're looking at is in Latin, soli deo gloria. The glory of God alone. And what do you mean... Uh, you're like, well, you've said about 180 words right then, so I don't know what you... I'm sure that you don't have any problem putting words to things, especially since I put them together for about 45 minutes or so. And so, but here's what I want to say, all right? This is going to be the interactive portion of today's sermon, is if I wanted you... Somebody, let's see, the World Series is happening, right? So let's talk about baseball. Amen. That's right. And so, right... Let's, let's talk about the choke job that Astros did last night in the ninth. It's fine. We're fine. But uh, now they just made it harder for themselves. It's okay. Who, who doesn't have a dog in the fight? But I like baseball anyway. So here we go. We're going to talk about baseball. So if I wanted you to describe to me a baseball, what would you say? Not the game of baseball. Describe to me a actual baseball. Okay, it's round. It's white. Leather. It's got red stitching, 108 red stitches. Thank you, Brown. Okay. <laughs> How big is it? How big is it? All right. It's about hand size, about the size of a giant apple. Okay. Because I don't think I've seen apples that big, but it's about the size of a grapefruit, an apple, somewhere in there. It's the size of a small fruit. Okay. Whatever. I don't know. I don't, I, whatever. And so... It doesn't look like a banana. Who knows? And so, what's it made of? 
And what's on the inside? Apparently, y'all haven't opened a baseball up. And so, yarn, and at the very, very, very center is what? What? A cork or a rubber ball, okay? So, now that we have uh, butchered that explanation of what a baseball is, and you could tell me about how you hit it with a bat, which is a stick, right? To a field of nine players, and you could tell me all about the game. But if I then took a baseball, a football, a basketball, and a soccer ball from behind here, which I don't because, you know, reasons. But if I laid them out here, would you be able to pick out the baseball? Because you described it. You described it in pretty good detail. All right, next exercise. Somebody describe to me beauty. That's a quote. That's not what beauty is, Ted. But did you notice when I said describe a baseball, it started flying. But when I said describe beauty, there was nothing. How do you put beauty into words? You can't. The only thing that you can do is point to things that are beautiful. And hopefully by pointing to enough things that are beautiful, I may get some concept of what beauty is. Right? The same thing is true of the glory of God. I cannot put into words the glory of God because God's glory so transcends us and our language that I do not have words adequate enough to describe it. All I can do is point to the glory of God and hope that by the end of this message, we have gotten a concept of what the glory of God is. All right? Who messed with the heat? Because it got hot all of a sudden. All right. Here you go, Carol. You can have my coat. Sorry, Boo. She asked first. All right. All right. Everybody got your first Corinthians chapter 10? Let's stand. Right? It's going to be very quick because it's one verse. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the what? The glory of God. This is the word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Now, there's one passage that we're going to go to and then about 60 others. Okay. I I really just got tired of typing them in after that. So I stopped. Okay. Because there's more. But we're not going to we'll run through those in a second. But we have to make a distinction here because the glory of God is at stake and the glory of God, I'll just put it this way. When the Westminster Catechism, when the Presbyterians were, were, were putting together their doctrines, their, their statement of faith, the Westminster Catechism, the first question, because a catechism is a, is a series of questions and answers, okay? So their first, um, so, you know, it's, it's, so in Presbyterian life, they catechize their children. All right. That sounds terrible, but it's actually really good because it teaches them the basics of faith from a young age. Right. If you how many was anybody here catechized? Brown. I figured Brown was. And so because he's our resident Presbyterian. And so um, turned Baptist. And so they catechize their children. And the first question is, what is the chief end of man or what is God? What is man's purpose? And the answer is is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. So how does one glorify God? Well, it's actually very simple, but quite difficult to do. 
But we have to make a distinction because there is a passage of Scripture that throw that's a whole bunch of passages of Scripture that talk about the glory of God. But there's a little nuance that we have to put in first. Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6 is one of the most powerful passages of Scripture because in Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah is lifted up to the throne. And in and when he interacts with God in his full splendor, he falls on his face and says, woe is me. Because the, the, the train of God's robe is filling the temple, smoke is filling the temple. There's angels. Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 3 says this. The angels are around the throne and they're singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Now, if they're singing about his holiness, if they're saying about his holiness, one would expect that the whole earth is full of his what? One would expect holiness, right? Because they're talking about his holiness. So they would assume then that the whole earth is full of his holiness. But instead it says that the whole earth is full of his glory. And so if you're taking notes, here's our main point. The glory of God is the unifying goal of history. The glory of God is the unifying goal of history. First Corinthians told us what? Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. The angels are around the throne saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. The reason our churches are the way that our churches are today is because we have forgotten the glory of God. Because we have wanted to make the gospel palatable for people. Because we don't want to hurt their feelings. Especially in our oversensitized America. That we don't want to hurt people's feelings. And so we tried to take the bite out of the gospel. And in doing so. We messed up our churches. Because it is only the glory of God and salvation. That can save. It is only the glory of God that can cause us to walk in obedience. It is only by beholding the glory. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says that we are transformed from one degree of glory to the next by beholding Jesus. That it is only by looking to Christ, the embodiment of the glory of God... John 1.14, after the beginning of John says what? The Word was with God, the Word was God. And then down in John 1, verse 14, it says, in, uh, That Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory as of the only Father, full of grace and truth. That the glory of Christ, that Christ is the glory of God on display. And so again, I tell you, the main point of this the reason that the reformers had to draw us back is because we, like the church of old, had abandoned the glory of God. We make it about us. It's about our preferences. It's about saying things that won't hurt people's feelings so they don't leave and not come back. It's about all these different things. When the scripture, all of scripture from first until last, says that it's about God and his glory. Even God says, it's about my glory. And so here I'm going to try to define glory. <clears throat> Excuse me. I would define glory as the radiance of God's character. 
So what is radiance? It's the light put off, right? If you look at the sun, the radiance is the light coming off of the sun. And so, glory is the radiance of God's character. Or to say it another way, the glory of God is the fullness of God's character on display. Because how can the angels sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts, whose the whole earth is full of his glory. His glory is his all-encompassing, perfect character put out there for people to see. All right, so now we kind of have something that we can work with. The glory of God is his holy character on display. And just to, make you, just to let you see that this is a big deal... Just to let you see that this is a big deal. Uh, Wes, you ready? All right. Don't turn there. You won't make it. Okay? Ready, go. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my what? Whom I formed and made. Isaiah 43, 6 and 7. Just keep rolling them out there. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. Psalm 96.3. And I will set my glory among the nations, and all the nations shall see my judgment that I have executed in my hand that I have laid on them. Ezekiel 39.21. For I know their works and their thoughts, and that their time is coming to gather all nations and tongues, and they shall come and shall see my glory. And I will set a sign among them, and I and from them I will send... Save, or survivors to the nations to blah, 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 blah. Next. Right? I don't want to try. Through him, we also have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in what? The hope of the glory of God. Romans 5, 2. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. In order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy which he prepared beforehand for glory. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. John 17. He is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. He's talking about Jesus. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Let let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His majesty is above earth and heaven. I am the Lord, that is my name, my glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. And he said to me, you are my servant Israel, in whom I will be glorified. For God said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. In him also, you were, who were, uh, you, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all 
the peoples. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. Its lamp is the Lamb. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be His glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with His glory. Amen and amen. To the choir master, Psalm of David, the heavens declare the glory of God. Need I go on? Because I just stopped typing after a while. There's more. So, how many of you would think that the glory of God is kind of a big deal? But yet, when you look at our churches, it's almost non-existent. And then we wonder why God is not blessing our churches. I submit to you today that God is not blessing our churches because we do not care about the things that God cares about. We aren't doing the things that God wants us to do. Our focus is not on what God is focused on. Instead, we are content to come on Sunday morning, to sit and listen to a message that we hope is not boring, to sing some songs that we hope are like the style that we want, and to go about the rest of our lives until we come back and do it again. The problem with that is the Bible. God makes a big deal about His glory because His glory is His own full Perfect character put on display. Which leads us to the other side. You can't have a three-sided coin, but we got one. Okay? Right? I guess it would be like a triangle. Doesn't matter. So you have the holiness of God is God's perfect character. All of His love and His justice, His wrath, His grace, His mercy, His omnipresence, His omniscience, His omnipotence. All of who God is is His holiness. The word itself literally means separate, that God is distinct from us. He is not like us, that God is no longer or is no more like the archangel is in heaven than he is the bacteria that lives in toilets. He is none of those things. God is completely distinct and separate. He is perfectly just and holy and righteous and wrath and love and mercy and grace all at the same time. We cannot even comprehend the fullness of God because if he were to take the fullness of his character and unleash the fullness of his glory, all of the universe would cease to be. Moses wanted to see the glory of God and God said, you cannot withstand my glory. And so he hid him in a rock and let him just glimpse his glory as it passed. Because the full weight of the glory of God would annihilate you. And yet we act like this is a game. That one day we're going to stand before Jesus and tell him what's up. No, you're not. He's going to tell you what's up. Okay? That's why Philippians 2 after he talks about that he, um, that this is starting in verse 5, it says that he, we are to have this mind about you, which is yours in Christ. That although he knew God, although he was God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped. Instead, he took on the form of a servant. Being made in the likeness of men, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. That's 5 to 8. And in verse 9 it says, Therefore, because of who Jesus is, therefore God exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name...
name of Jesus, it is not optional. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You do not have an option. You will either bow before him as an object of his mercy or you will bow before him as an object of his wrath. You will either bow before him as a child being accepted into glory or you will be punished for your disbelief. That is the only option. And we still act like this is a game. That this has anything to do with us. All we are are harbingers, emissaries, ambassadors of God's glory. We are to put the world on notice that it is about God and nothing else. And we can't even do that. God cares so much about his glory that in Isaiah 42, we read it in that long string. It says, my glory, I won't give to somebody else. It's not an option. You cannot take it. We're so arrogant, we think we can take the praise that is due God's name. You cannot. He won't give it to you. Because where else should praise go but to the top? See, if we praise ourselves, it's arrogant. Because we are not the top of the totem pole. I don't even, I'm not even quite sure that I'm on the totem pole, okay? But I'm definitely not near the top. Praise goes to the top. So God, where else would he give his praise except to himself? It's not arrogance. It's holiness. And we are commanded to be holy because he is holy. You do not get to be a Christian and not walk with Jesus. That's not how it works. If you choose not to walk with Christ, you're choosing not to be a Christian. There's no middle ground. Because it is paramount that we understand and get our churches back to singing about and preaching about and praying about and reading about in our Sunday school classes, being about in our community, in our fellowship. And everything that we are to be about has to be grounded in the glory of God. And until we get there, our churches will never be what they're supposed to be. The third side... The holiness of God, which puts, which is the glory, the glory is his holiness on display. The other side of that that feeds into his glory is from us. And that side starts with a W. Worship. Our worship is the overflow of our love and devotion to God and his glory. That's what worship is. Worship comes from an English word, right? Worthship. It means ascribing worth to something. And is there anything more worthy of worship than God? He's the only thing worth worshiping. We are here today because of God's glory has been put on display in Jesus. Hebrews 1 tells us that He is the radiance of the glory of God. So not only is the glory of God shown through the heavens and through his handiwork and through his work and through everything 
that he made his perfect character on display. Not only is that the glory, the glory of God has a name and his name is Jesus. He stepped into the darkness and caused he himself is the light. Because he took on flesh, we have seen the glory coming only from God. Jesus prayed that they, that God would show himself and give them the glory that Jesus has had from eternity past. That they would see him for who he is. That we would not be like the demons who see God and trust, and not trust, but see God and do not have to be told who Jesus is. The demons know, right? The demons are the only ones that never get it wrong. They know who Jesus is. They know what Jesus is about. They know that he can destroy them and they say, don't do that. Yet we think that that's enough. When James says the demons know and they shudder. But there's that other part is that when we worship him, when all of our trust and belief has been placed in God and his glory, and that becomes our focus, now our churches can do what they are meant to do. But that only happens when we get back to seeing the glory of God. I hate to break it to you, church. It's not about you. It's not about your preference. It's not about your style of music. It's not about if you like pews, right? Who wants a pew? I like pews. You know why? Because they don't move. You don't have to put them back down. (laughs) Anybody that's ever picked up a chair in this room is missing a pew, okay? You know why? Because y'all don't know this, but these chairs weren't down. They only been down the floor about two hours. And so... Because life happens and people, we forget. And we're like, well, we can all sit in stacks of chairs, but that's probably dangerous. And so, it's not about pews. Did you know that at one time the piano and the organ were confrontational instruments? That the piano and the organ, when they were introduced, that people were like, you can't do church like this. How many of y'all thought that about the piano and the organ? Nobody. Right. But when they were first come on the scene, everybody, it's like the drum. It was like the drums. Right. Some of y'all, when the drums first came into worship services, you were like, hold up. That's the devil's instruments. Okay. Right. Guitars, all of which are present in scripture, by the way. The lyre is basically a fat guitar. Okay. A short, fat guitar like me. And so anyways, short and fat. That's where I was going with that. Anyways, <clears throat> the symbols, the clashing, the dancing, that still hadn't worked its way into the Baptist circle yet. We're, we shut that door pretty tight. And so, but it's okay. Y'all, y'all act like I'm playing. Y'all know there's some Baptist churches that you can't dance in a church, period? Ever? They must have forgot that David was a dancer. He just danced all over. Right? And we won't go in how he danced. That's... He was free in his dance, so we'll just put it that way. If y'all don't know, go back and read, go read the Samuels and just find out about David and his life, okay? And so, it's not about you. It's about God. It's about his word. It's about Christ. 
It's about making disciples because he commanded us to make disciples. It's about living out in community. And it's about living out our faith. Why? Because the scripture told us so. We've got to get back to focusing on the glory of God. And here's why. And this is where we're going to close. We're actually going to turn to Isaiah chapter 6. This is your response, church. It should be. Your worship started last Sunday afternoon. When we left here, your worship throughout the week is what prepared you for today. Unfortunately, some of us came to church unprepared. We didn't think one thing about Christ for the rest of the week. Some of us have this misunderstanding that worship is supposed to gear you up and fix you up and kickstart you for the week. No, no. Worship is an overflow of what's already there. And so when we come to give glory to God, it should have been from six days of walking with Jesus. Because then you don't need to get geared up. You're already geared. You're ready to roll because you've already focused on the Savior. And so what happens is you get to come together with family and sing of the blood of Jesus. And you don't need to get fired up to then get sent out. It's just an overflow of what's already coming. Our worship is acknowledging the glory of God. The glory of God in all of life. Because what did Corinthians say? Whether you eat, drink, whatever you do, it's done for the glory of God. Isaiah chapter 6, I'm going to read this whole thing to show you. I'm not going to read out of Proverbs 6, good googly moogly. That ain't going to get it. Got to flip a book, I'm ready. In In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon the throne, high and lifted up. The train, which is the bottom of his robe, was filling the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. With two he flew. And one called to another saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. Just try to put that scene in your mind. You're standing before God himself. And his presence is so overwhelming that the foundation itself is moving. At his voice. This is not a little God that we serve. This is not some old dude sitting in a garden that just wants you to come and spend an hour with him once a week. Right? But the church has played up God to be the grandpa that's sitting in his garden. He, you know, he doesn't really bother you, but he kind of wants you to come and visit him a little bit because he's needy. He needs some love a little bit. And so come and sit on my lap for an hour and tell me about your day. Right? Play with grandpa's beard and then go on about your life and don't think about him till the next time you want to go see him. Isn't that not how we play with church? That's not God. He's not your grandpa. He's not sitting in the garden waiting for you to come and visit him. He is the almighty creator of the universe that in a moment could annihilate everything in his holiness. He is the almighty God who hung planets and put them where to go and named them. He's the almighty God who let, who made one million things happen in exactly the right sequence so that you could even see 
out of your eyes. He's the almighty God who is holding you together. And without God, the universe itself would collapse. He is God almighty who through his son killed death. He defeated death, hell, and the grave. He is almighty God who offered up himself as the payment. Because you and I were so busted, there is no way that we could do it ourselves. So that the scripture says later in Isaiah that our righteousness is disgusting. That even at your best, you're not good enough. And God himself came to get you. Not because you were worthy, not because you deserved it, but because of his own grace and mercy. Because for his own glory. This is the God that we worship. It's not some piddly little God that needs you. But it is the God of the universe that invites you into his presence. There's a song by Leland called Carried to the Table. And the chorus goes, I'm, I'll try to remember it on the fly. If I don't, then forget about it. But it's, I'm carried to the table, seated where I don't belong. And I'm carried to the table, resting in your love. And it talks about not seeing our brokenness anymore. But that we are seated at the banquet feast of God. Seated where we do not belong On his righteousness alone. Because of the great love with which he loved you. Even when you were still a sinner. Christ died for you. This is the God that we serve. This is the God that Isaiah stood before. That was a daunting presence. A God that commands legions of angels. Who stand there and sing holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Who was and is and is to come. This is what Isaiah stepped into. This is not a safe place. This is a powerful place. And so God. When Isaiah stepped to God. He didn't complain about the carpet of the temple. He didn't complain about the key. Or the music style that the angels were singing in. Instead. What does verse 5 say? He said, woe is me, I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the king. His response to seeing God is to fall on his face in worship. This is what happens here. This is what should happen here. Is that when you are confronted with the word of God. Whether personally in your own quiet time. In small group or from this pulpit. It should destroy you. So that the gospel can build you back up. It breaks you. To heal you. Isaiah stood before God. And he didn't stand he didn't proclaim. He was, not bold. he was not bold. He was not proud. He literally said, woe upon me. When is the last time that you felt like that in the presence of God? And unfortunately, it is so far, few and far between, that we actually feel that weightiness. 
This is not a game. This is dealing with eternal things. Your soul and my soul, they're on the line. There's no redo. There's no second chance. You are either God's or you're not. And we come here as bought back from death and to life, from darkness and to light. We have been brought here to praise his name. Because is there anything else worth praising God for than salvation? But then something happens. Which is what God does. He destroyed Isaiah. And Isaiah said, woe is me. My eyes, I have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. In verse 6 it says, Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal from the altar. And he touched my mouth. And he said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. What was his, what was his woe? Woe is me, I am a man of what? Of unclean lips. And so God cleaned his lips. And then here is the response. When you have been confronted with the holiness and the glory of God, you the only response that we can have is verse 8. And I heard the, verse, the, the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? The only response that you have is, Here am I, send me. That is when you know that you have been touched by God. God does not save you without sending you. That is not how it works. God saves you to send you. He brought his son. He sent his son so that he could send us. This is not optional. And it is for the glory of God. So what does this mean? What do we do with all this? I think we repent. And I don't think there's another option. I don't think there's another. I don't think there's the delineation between those who are lost and those who are saved in this matter. Because even those of us who have been Christians for decades fail at giving glory to God. Daily. Constantly. The only response is to repent. If you're lost, if you have not been saved, then you need to repent for the first time to be brought into the fold of God. You need to see, and I hope that you have seen today, the majesty of the glory of the God that we worship. And he's calling to you. Saying, repent and believe. For those of us that have been saved, we have to repent and realize that from Every moment that we wake to we sleep, from work to play to church, all of it is for God's glory. And we are not living our lives like that. Because if we were, our churches, our county, our state, and our world would look different. But instead, the church has been We're sitting back on our laurels waiting for God to come and take us home. And that is an affront to his glory. 
His glory is meant to be seen to the ends of the earth. And he called us to go and make disciples of all nations. We've already said that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And I do not know about you, but I want the vast majority of that declaring to be as children of God, not as objects of wrath. If you are content to sit back and watch the world go to hell, you do not know the God that I know. Because that's not what God's about. He wants his glory to shine out in every person. He told Adam and Eve to fill the earth with worshipers. That mandate has not changed. And it will not change. It will not change until we are ushered into eternity where God's glory is the only thing there is. And it's our job as Christians to help bring it in. And what a privilege to be invited into that. So we're going to sing. Because right now the way that I feel. Is not great. <laughs> because I realize my own failings. At giving God glory. But do you know that the Bible says where sin is great. His mercy is greater. Is Amen right. Where our sin is great, His mercy is greater. And so we're going to sing that His mercy is more. Praise the Lord, His mercy is more. It's stronger than darkness and it's new every morn. Our sins, they are many, but His mercy is more. Most gracious God, that is our prayer. That Your mercy will rain down upon us and that we will see You high and lifted up. God, we want to see Your glory. We want to be about what you're about and we want all of life, all of church to bring you all the honor, the praise and the glory that is due your name. So as we sing of your mercy, move in our hearts. We ask this in the name of Christ. Amen.